Well, on Sunday mornings, I typically preach through books in the Bible, verse by verse. Of course, we're going through Mark right now. And on Sunday afternoons, I often preach more topical type of sermons. I think that both kinds are very important and very needed in the church. Topical sermons look at various subjects and set forth what the Bible as a whole teaches about those things. So you kind of pull things together from different parts that have a common focus and theme and and bring forth the truth of God from that. Recently, we did a short series on parenting in the afternoon. Before that, I did a series where I preached through all the books in the Bible. That was a little bit of a longer series. And uh, one series that I continually return to and that the elders have often encouraged me to return to is preaching through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Once I did a series through the larger catechism as well. That one took quite a while. But um, today I'm going to begin a new series in the Shorter Catechism. It's been almost exactly five years since we went through the Shorter Catechism, and we have a lot of new members who were not here five years ago. We also have some younger folks who have grown up among us that uh, are now in a position where they'll be able to understand more uh, as we go through this, this material again. Today, it will be an introductory message. That means that we won't look at the first question this week. And let me encourage you that that means that you can work on memorizing. Memorizing the Shorter Catechism. Because we're not doing the first question today, we'll do it next week. So you've got a whole week, and then you can keep up as, as we go along. We will be doing one question per week pretty much. I'm not necessarily going to stick to that totally, but more or less. And uh, with occasional interruptions when we have storms or special services or guest speakers or things like that. So you should be able, with a little effort, to keep up. Uh, even if you're older and your brain is starting to get cobwebs in it, you can still, uh, you can still memorize things. It'll make a huge difference for you in knowing what you believe to have the, the catechism committed to memory. Much of it, of course, is, is directly Scripture. You learn the Ten Commandments, you learn the Lord's Prayer, such things as that. So for this introduction to catechizing, we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages in the Bible, not one particular one. So uh, we already had a long Scripture reading that talked about the importance of learning God's truths, remembering what He's done for us, what it means to us, how He raised up. Uh, our shepherd to us, uh, referred to with uh, the language of David, of course, but pointing to Christ. So uh, we'll be looking at various scriptures as we go along. So as we start off today with this introductory message to catechizing, I want to show you the emphasis that is given to catechizing in the Bible. A lot of people who are evangelical Christians today don't realize that there's an emphasis on this in the Bible. They think it's just a traditional thing that people kind of stuck on, but it's not. Um, The word for catechizing is actually in the Bible. It's used in the Bible. Let me show you some examples. In Galatians 6, 6, it's used in a very general way. It says, let him who taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Of course, the Bible was written in Greek. And guess what the word taught is there? 
It's katekeo, where we get our word catechism. Katekeo, and it's used again with him who teaches. Uh, so the word is used twice here. Let me read it, uh, bringing out that as a, in a literal translation. Let him who is catechized share in all good things with him who catechizes. As you can see that in our English Bible, that katekeo is translated, depending on what Bible version you have, with teach or instruct. The word katekeo is used a few other times of instructing people in the Christian faith. You can find it in the opening of Luke's gospel. Very important usage there. Almost a, a semi-technical kind of use in Luke um, 1, 3, and 4. Very beginning of Luke's gospel, verse 3 and 4, where Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were catechized, instructed. Notice here how it's used as a thing that was completed. That's what I mean by it was a semi-technical use. He had already been catechized in the Christian faith. So some people were catechized, had been, and some people were not yet. He was one who had been. Luke is writing to him to confirm the things in which he had been catechized, explaining that he is a prophet, Luke is a prophet, had perfect understanding, meaning that he was bringing the very word of God as he wrote the gospel of Luke, that he was inspired by the Spirit. So we need to remember that before the New Testament was written, the gospel was preached to people and they were instructed in the rudiments of the faith. They were catechized as to the Christian doctrines and duties that belong to them as Christians. The word katekeo is also used in Acts 18.25 of Apollos, where it says that he had been instructed, katekeo is the word there again, in the way of the Lord. He had been catechized in the way of the Lord. In this case, the instruction needed to be updated because he had only learned about the baptism of John. You can see that he had been catechized, though, in the way of the Lord. So it was something that had been completed up until that time. Again, it's a semi-technical term where one person had been catechized and instructed in the rudiments of the faith, and another one was yet in need of that. Now, of course, the thing itself, catechizing, may be referred to when the word itself is not used. And it often is used. What is it then? It's instructing someone in the Christian rudiments and the standards and even a set form of standards of the, of the Christian faith in a particular time in which uh, that person lives. So um, there are lots of other words and phrases that are used to speak of the work of catechizing, teaching disciples the basics of the faith. Let's take a look at a few of those. In Romans 6.17, Paul says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Okay, that standard of teaching, standards that you were taught uh, to, which you are now, to which you were delivered. The word form is tupon, like, sort of like type, where, which refers to a die stamp. 
So the believers at Rome were Christians because they had believed the standard teaching about Christ. They had received Him according to the revelation that was given about Him. This is how we come to know the Lord. They had obeyed from the heart such things as believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The distillation of truth, when we look at the whole Gospels and things, and we take out truth and we say to someone who is outside, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, we're bringing to them a standard of Christian belief and faith for them to receive. And so they had obeyed from the heart such things as that. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. That would be another one. In uh, 2 John, John refers to the basic teachings in which Christians were catechized as the doctrine of Christ. Okay, the, in, in uh, 2 John 1, 9, he says, whoever transgresses and does not hold I mean, does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has the Father and the Son. And then he gives us a specific instance. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So there's a standard of teaching upheld. Now, what is it that John is talking about there? If you look in the context, you'll see that there are those who are teaching that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. So that became a creedal kind of a statement in the early church that Jesus came in the flesh. And if you were testing someone to see what they believe, instead of just saying, oh, do you believe all the things that the apostles wrote? You would say specifically to them, do you believe that Jesus came in the flesh? And then they would say yes or no. So he mentions that, you see, specifically believers were catechized at that time with that important teaching because they would run into people that were teaching in the name of Christ that would say Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. So when you were discipling them, catechizing them, you would say Jesus did come in the flesh. And that would be one of the things that they would learn. In 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul urges Timothy to hold on to the pattern of sound words in which he had been catechized. Last time I did an introduction to the Shorter Catechism, I preached on that that verse, the whole, seri- the, the whole introductory sermon, that uh, to hold on to the pattern of sound words. He says in 2 Timothy 1.13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So here again, there is a standard referred to. It's called a pattern. This time it's hupo-tupos. So it has a tupos in it but with hupo in front obviously related to tupos that we saw before. Hupotupos was used of a summary of a written document. Okay, so you have a, a great document and you summarize it for someone. They say, what does it say? And you distill it and you summarize it for it and you, you give that to them. Uh, that's the idea. It was also, Hupotupos was also used for an architect or other types of people that were designing things where they would draw a plan Hupotupos, that was the, the plan, was the pattern that was given for building that building. So Timothy and his teaching ministry was to be careful to hold on to the body of received doctrine that was in the church. Um, he was not to be, we are to be catechized in, uh, in those things. He was to know his catechism, the pattern of sound words that Paul had given him. These are the things that Christians believe. 
Hold on to that pattern of sound words. The word tradition is also used in this way uh, in the Bible of the body of things taught that are to be believed and practiced. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you are taught, whether by word or our epistle. In the Bible, we are warned against following the traditions of men, and that's not what we're talking about. We're urged to rather hold to the traditions of the apostles, the things that are taught in the word. We're to be catechized not in human traditions of man's making, but in the teachings that are rooted in Scripture. Paul also speaks about delivering rudimentary teachings of faith to to disciples. The word paradidomai refers to, it means to deliver or to commit to someone or to hand over or to pass on something. So you've got some teachings and you hand them over, you pass them over faithfully to to someone in in need of those teachings. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, he says, very familiar to us, we read it this morning at the Lord's table, for I received from the Lord, okay, I got something from the Lord teaching, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and so on. And then he instructs them, of course, about the Lord's Supper. He's passing along what God had given to him for them to have as their understanding of what they were to do. These were basic teachings then that those who believed needed to know and that were faithfully passed on to them by the apostle and then by teachers after that. We are not given a complete confession, catechism, or summary of faith in the Bible, where we're given like, okay, here's a summary of the things that you need to know spelled out in the scripture. Here's a catechism in, uh, in the Bible somewhere. We, but, uh, so, so we're not given a pattern of sound words like that, where here is a confession or here is a catechism. Uh, that's because we're to write our own. Now, what do we mean by that? They're, they're, they're to be based totally on the Scripture, but these summaries are to be adaptable and flexible. They're always to be based on Scripture, and their validity is always to be tested by their conformity to Scripture. But they are to develop as errors arise in the church to refute those errors. For example, In the early church, there arose that error that I mentioned before, that Jesus didn't come in true flesh. So that became part of the rudimentary doctrine that was passed on. We don't really run into that so much today, that people that don't think Jesus came in the flesh, we usually have the opposite problem. They think, oh yeah, he came in the flesh, but he wasn't really God. And so that needed to be put in as well. And later on, fairly early on in the church, that became a problem, that people were saying, oh, he wasn't really truly God. So that had to be added in to their creedal statements, the pattern of sound words that they gave one to another rooted in the scripture. Um, even though we, we are not given complete confessions or catechisms directly in the Bible for that reason, we are given examples of statements from those kind of uh, catechisms or, or creeds or confessions. 
Here are some examples of that. 1 Timothy 1.15 and 1 Timothy 2.11 refer to catechetical statements that were known in the church as faithful sayings. It's a faithful saying, something that people passed along to each other. This is a faithful saying. So in 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what they would go around telling each other and telling other people. 2 Timothy 2.11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. 1 Timothy 3.16 speaks of a longer statement that's given to us in the Bible, which is called the mystery of godliness. You remember that a mystery is something that has to be revealed or you won't know it. Okay, we learn God's revelation through the things that he's made, but everyone has that. But there's other things we can't know through the things that God has made. We have to only know them if God tells us. Like we can't know that he, wanted, that, that he willed to save sinners and that he sent his son to do that. We could see Jesus come, but we'd have no idea why he died. So it's revealed to us in God's, by God's prophets, special revelation. So it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What has been revealed is the way of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, justified in the spirit. He was anointed with the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. The gospel went out to the nations and preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up in glory. That's the mystery, the revelation of godliness. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Paul refers to doctrine that he delivered to the people at Corinth. Okay, here's a catechetical kind of statement. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. So it's something he got and then he passed on to them that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. As you can see, none of these are complete summaries of faith, but they clearly refer to catechetical statements that were passed around and taught from one Christian to another, from teachers to those who are in the church, as they were instructed in the rudiments of the Christian faith. Our Lord has called us to catechize in his church, to teach disciples the basics of the faith. Now, this may seem obvious to us, but often it has been neglected so that Christians do not know what they believe. A few years ago, there was a conference in California where some people, I think they were with with Ligonier or some group like that, that were Reformed Christians, and evangelical leaders were gathered together, and they went out to find out, just ask them some questions of basic Christian doctrine. And it was abysmal, the answers that they gave. Questions like, can you name, the, how many of the Ten Commandments can you name? And they would respond with things like, let's see, there's one about uh, being nice to each other. And uh, there's a, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're not supposed to kill. And, you know, they're going through like that. And they had no idea about many of the commandments, the very commandments of God. And then they asked them, what is justification? And uh, that's when you try to do good and uh, 
Uh, it had all kinds of just crazy answers that were, were really way off. R.C. Sproul, when he heard about that survey and some of the results of it, he was driving in his car and he had to pull over because he was weeping because of the condition of the church, not even knowing what they believe. Leaders in the church, how much more the people. We need to hear and obey the call to catechize. The call to catechize goes all the way back to the Old Testament. God commanded his people to tell each generation the wonders that God had done. So they would know. How would they know that God had delivered them out of Egypt and established them as people if they didn't tell one another? They, they had been redeemed. For example, in Deuteronomy 26, they were to bring their offerings and they were to say, Deuteronomy 26, 5, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, telling the great things that God has done. What do we do? We recite something like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed that we did today. And we tell about Jesus being born of a virgin, how he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried. See, Moses, Moses has, was told also to teach the people to observe the commandments and ordinances of God. In Deuteronomy 4, 5, Moses says, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. God had commanded him to catechize them in his statutes and commandments. In Deuteronomy 6, very familiar to us, I hope, that parents were instructed to teach their children diligently to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to talk about this all through the day when they sit down, when they rise up, when they walk by the way, catechizing their children in the will of God, what is our God called us to do? How are we to love him? The people were also to be taught the promises of God that they might set their hope in God. Psalm 78 that we read today was full of recounting the fathers telling their children the great things that God had done. Then when Jesus came along, what did he do? He called disciples to himself and he catechized them. He instructed them in the rudiments of the faith that they were to pass on to the church. He went about with them teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, that through him salvation had come to the world. In the sermon this morning from Mark 8, we saw him drawing forth a confession, asking his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And they gave an answer. You are the Christ, you see. And following their confession that he is the Christ, we see him in the next two chapters filling out what it means for him to be the Christ, what the Christ had to do, because they did not understand that. So he lays all that out, giving them the rudiments so that then they could go and preach those rudiments to other people that they might be saved. All along in his ministry, he is preparing them to teach others. 
It all comes to a climax in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That catechizing was not just to be done by the apostles in the first generation, first generation of Christians. But as you can see, it was to continue how long? He said, until the end of the age. To this day, the church is to go on teaching disciples to observe the things that Christ has commanded, the things that he has given to us. And then we have the command of the apostles themselves, both to catechize and to be catechized. We have people catechizing and people being catechized. We're to follow the pattern given us by the apostles. They made use of very simple confessions of faith for receiving new believers. We need to remember that in the time of the apostles, people were baptized after a single evening of instruction. The church kind of got away from that, and I think wrongly so. The apostolic model is to receive them rather quickly when they came to faith. And this was true not only of Jews receiving the gospel, like those that believed at Pentecost, who were baptized on the very day that they heard, um, those who knew the Old Testament and the teachings of it. But it was also true of pagans like the Philippian jailer and his household, who knew nothing. And yet, after a single evening of catechism, they were baptized, the single setting forth the, the plain doctrines of the faith. In our church, we have our vows of membership, which summarize the essentials that we believe a person needs to properly confess before they are received into the church. It's not complicated, nor should it be. Okay, But after a person has been baptized, we have a fuller summary, like the shorter catechism in our case, that we use to ground them in the faith. You might remember that when we studied Thessalonians, Paul was distressed because he had baptized people there. He had brought people into the faith. They had received the, the very, very small summary that is necessary for confessing their faith. But he had not had time to do this second level of teaching to ground them in the doctrines of the faith, further teaching of them. So what did he do? He sent Timothy to do that as a matter of urgency. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3, he says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, not endure being separated from you after just, we were only there for three weeks and then we were separated from you. We couldn't endure to stay away because we we were desperate to to ground you in the faith, you see. Listen to what he says. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. He was there with Timothy and, and I believe it was Silas. And, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to do what? To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken. How would you establish someone in the faith? You teach them the rudiments of the faith. You catechize them so that they know what they believe. They know what God has done for them. They know what God's will, His commandments are about prayer, about worship, about all of those things. 
Timothy was sent to establish them in these basics of the Christian faith. They had professed, but they needed to be more firmly rooted, lest they be led astray. The duty that we have to receive such instruction in the rudiments, as well as to establish us and preserve us, is impressed upon us in the New Testament. For example, in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, the apostle says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, verse 7, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught. You could say as you've been catechized. It doesn't use the catecheo there, but it's a synonym. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. As you can see, these believers had been established in the faith by being taught in the faith. Note the definite article before the word faith. They were not just taught to believe, but they were taught what to believe. The faith. Not just to have faith, which is subjective, but the faith, which is objective, the things that were taught to them. We have faith in the faith. We have faith in the things that God has delivered to us as his saints, once delivered to the saints. So they were to be taught the faith, the Christian faith, the things that they were to believe. So we should be diligent to obey the Lord's call to catechize today. Surely you can see how useful such catechetical instruction is. Let's take a deeper look at Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you have therefore, I'll read it to you again. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul shows these Colossians' disciples how they ought to benefit from having been catechized, from having been established in the faith as they had been taught. The great goal of all catechetical instruction is that you would be able to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. To walk in Him... As you have been taught. So you put those phrases together. To walk in him as you have been taught. Not in some other way. You cannot walk in Christ Jesus unless you know who he is. Unless you know what he has done. That's how you know him. You don't just get feelings about him. That's what's going on today in the church so often. You need to be instructed about this. We don't come to know Christ by mere sentiments by trying to have warm feelings about Him, or by singing repetitive praise choruses over and over. We live in a world of lies, and we have within us all a deceitful heart that's desperately wicked and distorts the truth about God and His Son. We need instruction from God's holy word so that we can know Jesus, not as we dream Him up to be, but as He is in truth, as He set forth in the Holy Scriptures. To walk in Him, you need to know that He is God's Son. You need to know that He's fully God. That He's also fully man. That He left the glories of heaven to come here. That He might redeem us by dying on the cross for our sins. You ask many today in the churches and they have no idea why Jesus died. They might say for our sins, but they don't understand about Him being a substitute and what it means. 
You need to know that he has done that and that the father has accepted his sacrifice and raised him from the dead on the third day and that Jesus ascended into heaven to reign till he comes again. You need to know of his coming again with glory to judge the world, that he's the judge. Some people don't even know about judgment, don't believe that God would judge anyone. You need to know of all the benefits of our salvation. Justification, what that is, adoption, sanctification, the hope of glory. You need to know of the promise of God to all who believe and what it means to repent and believe. What is it? How can you serve God if you don't know the rudiments of the faith? The church falls on hard times when there is no catechetical instruction. At the Reformation, the Reformers saw that people had not been taught in the rudiments of the faith. They did the ceremonies, but they didn't know the Lord or His salvation because they were not instructed in the basic teachings of God's Word. The Reformers began to do as had been done in the early church, to catechize people. They produced catechisms and confessions that were based on Scripture, summaries of the faith that they could then impart the rudiments of the Christian faith to new disciples. They used these summaries and patterns of sound words to teach the people and to disciple them in the Christian faith. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, a lot of people don't know this in history, the Roman Catholic Church reacted by producing their own catechisms in which they tried to preserve their own traditions, their man-made traditions. But the Reformers based their catechisms and confessions on the teachings of the apostles found in the Scripture. Some people think that the Roman church started catechizing and then uh, that Protestants followed suit. It was the other way around. The Protestants were the ones that wanted to get the doctrines of the Scripture to the people. And it was a counteraction of the Roman Catholic Church to catechize. They had not been catechizing. They weren't teaching people anything. You just come and do the ceremonies and you're okay. The priest will offer the sacrifice for you and you're good. That was the basic idea. And you fear the priest, you give money, get candles lit for your dead or whatever, and that, you'll be, everything will be fine. Uh, that, that was the, the idea. So revival came when people learned of Christ from the Word and were able to walk in Him again. Decline has come today because, once again, nobody's being catechized. Professing Christians are ignorant of the faith. They have not been taught the rudiments. And notice that in Colossians 2.7, the passage we're looking at, it says that we are rooted in Christ by the instruction we have received. Okay, so the goal is that we walk in Christ and then it goes on to say that we be rooted in Christ through the catechetical instruction that we receive. How grand it is to be rooted in Him. It means that you're connected into Him. You have roots in Christ so that you can, by Him, live and bear fruit and grow. Instruction gives us deeper and deeper roots in Him so that we won't be shaken by false teachers and uprooted when false teachers come along. See, if you don't have any roots, false teacher comes along, you don't know what you believe and you're just swept away by whatever you hear. Paul is quite concerned about that here in Colossians. In verse 8, he says, beware. This is the same passage, right? We were looking at verse 6 and 7. In verse 8, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. 
when you know the rudiments of faith, it is much easier to detect false teachers, bad books. You can see them. You can sort them. You can sniff them out. You have discernment because you've been grounded firmly in the doctrines that are taught in the scripture. When I first started out as a new believer, I didn't yet know all the different parts of the word of God and how everything fit together. I had, as we, we all do, just the basic understanding that Christ had died for me. I was trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins. But I encountered all kinds of false teachers. I was on a university campus and I, I ran into all, and it, was, it was troubling. Uh, a groups that said that, that a Christian will never sin. They used verses from 1 John if you're really a Christian, you'll never sin after you become a Christian. And uh, I'm like, whoa. I looked at the verse and they showed it to me. And I thought, oh, wow. You know, what do I do with that? And another that said that you could lose your salvation. And they showed me verses about that, talked about that. I thought, oh, and I, I stayed up a few nights struggling with that. Another that said that Jesus wasn't really the son of God. And I had to check that out. And uh, another that said you had to be baptized by them in order to be saved. I actually had a friend that was in the campus ministry with me, another student, a fellow student that was a new believer. And he went off with that group and he got baptized by them, entered into that cult. And then there was one, the the Way International, you may have heard them. I met them. They They were smoking pot and all this kind of stuff. And they said, you know, we're free as Christians. We can freely love each other. We can have sex with each other. We can do whatever we want because we're free in Christ. They were antinomians. And I had to check that out and say, okay, what you know, they, they, they showed me some verses. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, free from the law. What, how, how do I deal with all this? And uh, it, so it, it was a great need that I had. And, and, and then over time, as I began to be instructed in the rudiments of the faith, I began to see how the different parts of the word fit together. And some of these doctrines that were completely contrary to one another, like we can do whatever we want, and the other one that we never sin at all, and I'm trying to put all that together, I was able, with teaching and instruction and the the doctrines of the church, to put these things together so that then when all these people came along, I wasn't troubled and didn't have to stay up (laughs) trying to figure out if this group was telling the truth or not. My confidence in the Lord became stronger and stronger and my love and commitment grew deeper and deeper as I saw what he did for me. And I actually had to leave the church that I was in, not because of gross error, but they did have the error of uh, sort of not as extreme as the way international, but they were in that direction of antinomianism. And uh, I began to see that, you know, when we become a Christian, that we repent and we come to Christ. Those just different things like that. So it became harder and harder as I was grounded in the faith to move me because I was rooted in Christ. I had roots. And that's what Paul is saying we aim for through instruction. I could no longer be deceived so easily and blown about. You become able to to tell when something's wrong. All of you then should aim to know what you believe and to be able to defend the truth, both to believers that are in error as well as to outsiders. I've known students or people that grew up in the Reformed Church. They go off to university. They meet some Baptists and they talk about, you know, why do you baptize babies? And you were baptized as a baby. Yeah. Why? Oh, I don't really know. And and they go they go off into some, you know, wrong teaching on on baptism. 
And uh, so it's important to know what you believe so that you can stand confidently and so that you can show others what you believe from the Scripture. And not only do we become rooted by instruction, we also, as verse 7 says, are built up in Christ. Okay, what do roots do? They grow down. Okay, that's the thing that holds on to the faith. Very important to have roots. What does the tree do in the other direction? It grows up. See where you see it. And uh, rooting is downward growth that keeps us in him. Being built up is upward growth. A new life that is produced by instruction. The instruction of the word. We receive instruction about how he wants us to live. We come to understand his commandments and how they apply to us. If you don't know the commandments, how do you expect to obey them? We come to see how he sets the example for us. When we understand that what when we understand what he has done for us in the gospel itself, as it's taught in our catechism, as it's set forth in the scriptures, then his service is a model for our service. His love is a model for our love. It's a model that keeps on giving. Never measure up to the love that we see on the cross as we understand more and more of the cross. His worship is a model for our worship, how he worshiped the Father. His obedience is a model for our obedience, how he obeyed the Father. His commitment is a model for our commitment. His forgiveness is a model for our forgiveness. His hope is a model for our hope. Upward growth makes us salt and light in our community. It brings forth service from us in the church as we use our gifts for other members of the body. Teaching, giving, helping, encouraging, admonishing, exhorting, comforting, hospitality. The list goes on and on and on of the things that we do as we grow upward in Christ. And then there is in this Colossians passage, thanksgiving. What else do we want to get out of catechism? Okay, we want, we want to walk with Christ. That's the first thing. We want to be rooted in Christ. We want to grow up in the tree that, to, to, grow, uh, to, to be built up in Him. And then there is thanksgiving. That's another fruit that we want to have from our instruction. True thanksgiving is the fruit of receiving instruction. We come to understand all that God is. We come to understand what great sinners we are and how much He has done to save us. That becomes more and more real to us as we go on in the faith. We increase then in our thanksgiving. That makes us better worshipers and better servants. Instead of whining and complaining, we become more and more delighted that we can serve God, whether we are in prison or whether we're in a palace. Instead of the troubles we have being a pain to us, they become opportunities for us to honor God and to show forth His praise in the earth. The more clarity that we have about our God, about His, you know, His saving grace, His calling for us, His plans for us, what He's done for us, the more grateful we become. Christian joy floods our souls as we are enriched by our hope through the knowledge of Jesus Christ as we have been taught concerning Him. All of this comes from receiving instruction. No wonder catechesis is emphasized so much in God's Word. We don't know our Lord 
by looking in our hearts and consulting how we feel about Him. We know Him by learning His Word and what it teaches us. That will be our goal in going through our catechism over the next couple of years. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Make the most of this by memorizing your catechism as we go along and by making sure that you have all of the that you hear all of these sermons on the catechism. If you're unable to hear due to sickness or for other reasons, then be sure that you listen to the messages because they interconnect with each other. And as you do, pray that the Holy Spirit will work through them so that you will be established in the faith rooted and built up in Jesus Christ and full of thanksgiving because you know Him and what He has done and what His will is. If you do this, you can expect to bear much fruit. If you do not, then you can expect to make little progress. Please stand and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that You have given us the Holy Scriptures, which are the primary standard of our faith. But Lord, we recognize that you have also appointed that we distill those doctrines, that we bring forward a standard, a pattern of sound words that we can also use to tell people about, for instance, how to be saved, that they must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and what that means. And we thank you, Lord, that that we're able that we don't have to just hand them the whole Bible and say, here, go study that. But we can then we can bring to them the particular teachings that are, are necessary for us to know you and to walk with you. And Lord, we thank you for those that have gone before us and labored in the church and producing various catechisms and confessions over the years as various errors have arisen in the church and they have been written to refute those errors. We thank you, Lord, that we have standards today. And we pray, Lord, that as we consider these, that uh, you, would, you would bless us, Lord, and help us to, to grow uh, in our walk with Jesus Christ, that we would, that we would come to, to delight in Him as our Savior, that we would grow roots downward into Him, that we might not be shaken, and that we would be built upward so that we might shine as, as salt or as light and, and be salt in the earth. We pray, Lord, that we would also abound with thanksgiving as we learn of the great things that our Lord has done for us. Father, we thank you for the way that you work in our lives, and we pray that you would give us wisdom. And Father, as we gain a whole summary of the things that you have revealed to us in your word, we pray, Lord, that it might be of great benefit to us. We thank you, though, also for the word itself and the manner in which it comes to us and how it does come to us in many different parts, many different stories, And we pray, Lord, that we would not neglect to also read the whole Bible. And in our morning sermon, as we go through verse by verse, looking at your word and the things that are set forth, we know, Lord, that you have designed that these things come to us in that format because it helps us, Lord, to to truly love those doctrines more as they're presented to us in that way and not just in a system of faith. We thank you, Lord, that you did not just give us a catechism, 
but you gave us the scriptures as rich as they are. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to benefit in the, with the framework and the pattern of sound words and also with the, the Bible as a whole as we, uh, as we read it and, and learn it and walk through it. Father, I pray that the folks here would be diligent to read through the scriptures, to read them from cover to cover, to read books in the Bible, to one book after another, and also that they would be faithful to learn those doctrines of our faith that are so helpful and necessary for us. Father, we praise you for, for the way that, that you work in us and how you help us to continue in the, in the faith that you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now the blessing of the Lord our God. Now may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.